spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. We have a somewhat shorter than usual show for you this evening with uh, two issues being covered, Amazing Spider-Man number 20 and The Avengers number 11, which has co-starring Spider-Man emblazoned across the cover. We'll see exactly what happens between The Avengers and Spider-Man in a few minutes. have a couple of announcements to make first, though. Over at our Libsyn page, that is AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com, Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, there have been some great and drastic changes in the design of the site. And for those of you who do not visit it frequently or at all, I invite you to go over and take a look at what's been done. My brother, Jim Wilson, has given quite a lot of time into making it look like a Spider-Man website, and I am deeply indebted to him. If you like his design work and would like to see more, take a trip over to jimwilsondesigns.com where you can see a lot of his other design work for various purposes and other media and just see what talent he has going on over there. Also want to give thanks to Stephen Lacey, our co-host for this third episode. He uh, helped us out in a tight spot and went to early, early in the morning for him in order to help us get some episodes out with a uh, fourth chair filled. So thank you to Steven. He was great to have on the show. We may have him back again in a few months. You can also hear his thoughts on the Hobgoblin arc of Ultimate Spider-Man in Teenage Wasteland, an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, which I co-host along with Zach Henderson. Stephen Lacey guested for us on there, and the latest couple of episodes of that show have his take on the Hobgoblin story arc. And finally, if you are a listener to this podcast through the Zune network, uh, right now there seems to be a problem with that feed. Hopefully by the time this is published, that will have been cleared up with Libsyn, but it's possible that you may have gotten this through the website because it wasn't showing up on Zune, and I do want to let you know that I am addressing that issue. So hopefully next time an episode comes around, it will be resolved. And now, let's go ahead and start talking Spider-Man comics. The two books we're talking about today were both released on October 8th, 1964, although they have different cover dates because The Avengers is dumb and is always a month behind in its cover date. But Amazing Spider-Man 20 has a cover date of January 1965, and Donovan Grant is going to tell us all about the Scorpion. How can Spidey battle a foe who is stronger than he is? You're about to meet one of Marvel's newest, greatest arch villains, the Scorpion. The coming... Of the Scorpion. Or Spidey Bells the Scorpion. Obviously written by Stan Lee, illustrated by Steve Dickel, lettered by S. Rosen. Because they, 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 they can't spell Sam. They can't do the, like, two extra letters. I'm thinking that was, like, something he probably requested, or maybe he littered, lettered himself or something. He I'll didn't want to get, like, mobbed in the street by all, like, <laughs> the, you're Sam Rosen, oh! But I like Sounds how um, they put Stan Lee's name second. But bigger well, he, a different color. Many readers have asked why Stan's name is always first in the credits, and so Big Hearted Lee agreed to put Stevie's name first this time. How about that? But we still have a feeling that Sneaky Stan put something over us. Anyway, now it's time for thrills, chills, and spills. Which it makes me wonder, like, if, if Stan was writing this, then who was us? Like, who else would, like, I'm a little confused on that, but... All of the other voices in their head. No, Flo, Flo, Flo and Marty. All right, right, right. Good minute. So... We start off this episode with the school day has ended and Flash and Liz are saying goodbye Kelly to Peter. Peter the play in traffic. <laughs> Go play in traffic, pest. 
And, and Peter's like, well, that was a nice thing to say. He, he was starting to walk home, and all of a sudden, his sparks just starts going off. Yeah, the guy from the last issue is following him, you know, trying not to look conspicuous. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just looking over there while I smoke. So when Peter gets home, he looks out, he looks out of his window, and hiding behind the big tree, Peter's like, yeah, someone is following me. I don't like this. Has someone found out my secret identity at last? Huh? So, like a, like a dope. He actually changes into Spider-Man with an open window in front of the guy. And then, you know, let me see if I can throw him off this way. So he jumps off the window onto buildings. And it's Liz Allen logic. <laughs> yeah. So Spider-Man jumps on some telephone poles. And to confirm what he's, what, to confirm what he's been suspecting, he, he, makes a, he makes a web image of a bat to fly around so he can get back, get back into his house without or rising suspicion. Uh, all of a sudden, Aunt May comes to him, and while he distracts her, he th- says, I gotta be extra careful not to reveal my identity in front of this guy, even though I probably already did by changing in front of the window. Right. There's the bottom of page two where he goes to follow the guy who's following him. Uh, not quite sure what's going to happen there. But he, when you have that gratuitous ass shot of Spidey, he thinks <laughs> it's no trick to follow someone silently when you've got the power of a thousand spiders. Now... I'm I'm not at the level of Spider-Man knowledge that you guys are, but I thought it's pro- the proportional strength of a spider. Maybe well, the proportion know. is a factor of a thousand. Well, I was wondering if that's what it was, but it seems I don't remember that being sort of the tagline for him. It's a sort I, of spider-floss kind of thing to say. Not not superfloss. <laughs> so the, it's, so it's the not superfluous. Morning. It's spiderfluous. This is um this is not the first time we've seen him use a web bat, but I do think it's kind of a neat use of his web. I wonder if Jeffrey hates it because he hates. I actually don't really like that because it's it's like I don't like you know it's it's like Goblin level kind of like non like why would you like you're Spider Man so let me me make a a bat just like Green Goblin let me make a frog I don't know it doesn't I don't know the science you know doesn't make doesn't add up science so the next morning he heads back to um Daily Bugle to say oh Betty usually works early on Saturday so let me see if I can pay her a visit a visit (laughs) while we get into the office pay her a (laughs) visit whoops. Let me let, let me see if it's let, let, let me see if it's my day on the calendar, the data, or if it's Ned's day. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. BJ Ned day, you know. Okay, uh, let me let me get off of that. We go back to the uh, office. Uh, of as Jones soon as Dicks. Betty gets off of Ned. Oh. Give that man a cigar. Okay, in J. Jonah Jameson's office, he's getting mad because newspapers aren't talking about. Oh no. The stories he's being sent are not talking about Spider-Man. They're talking about some wacky scientist and his and his uh, mutations of animals. And he's like, if only someone could find a way to beat Spider-Man. If only there was someone stronger than him that I could hire to. Hey, wait a minute. That's the answer, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Let's see now. What's the name of the address that Egghead Spider-Man can cause artificial mutations? Spider-Man, Spider-Man. This is my greatest inspiration. I'll rid the world of Spider-Man once and for all. I'll probably get a medal as a, in addition to my good He's just medal. got a medal. I know. <laughs> he walked out of the speech where you were, like, accepting it. No, well, he was awards day like, before that. Yeah, the, the one where he went on TV that Peter, like, you know, like, threw away. At the bottom middle panel, there's a really creepy face where he says, Here it is. Yeah. Dr. Farley Stillwell. Did you get that? Farley Stillwell. This is perfect. He lives right here in the city. Oh, really? So he decides to go to Stillwell to uh, further his maniacal scheme. We get, we cut to, like, the mysterious uh, stalker who's eventually built to be Matt Gargan. Matt he's, Gargan. He's, Matt he's, Gargan? He's, 
he sees um, him going in to see Betty, so he just goes to the mysterious employer's office, and the man who is employing Matt Gargan to tail Peter Parker, who was a shadowy figure at the end of issue 19, is none other than Norman, I, I mean, uh, J. Jonah Jameson. No. I'm afraid really? so, friends. Oh my god! And I really do get the feeling that Stan and Steve put the zinger at the end of 19 without knowing who it would be. And then decided to go a completely different direction with it in number twenty. Because they've never done that before. <laughs> they basically acknowledge their cliffhanger and then drop the whole idea that somebody's stalking Peter. It's, it's like it's, I, I can imagine Stanley like, like like going through like Thor and Iron Man and Avengers stuff, and like after like several more comic books, he went back to Spider Man. Like, oh yeah, we're doing this. Um, uh, page five. Um, ah, Jameson. And Ned so, Leeds is suddenly a blonde. Yeah, so so as oh, as yeah. Jameson and Matt Gargan are well, we know how Betty this. feels about blondes. <sighs> she gets all hot around them. Well, except for Liz, that blonde boy stealer. Yeah, um, yeah, this is this is the scene where, um, in fact, Pete, I'm actually heading to an important <laughs> assignment. Mister Jameson is sending me to Europe to cover the disarmament conferences because it's the 1960s, and Peter's like, "Wow, that's great," but we actually get Peter's opinion, unlike last issue, where he kind of we got well, he he wants Ned out of the way so he can have Betty all to himself. As opposed to, to Betty, who you know wants Jameson guys. is Jameson is working for Team Betty, so he likes sending Ned away on an assignment. He's a Peter and Betty shipper. Yeah, let's get you out of here. amongst all the characters, right? <laughs> it's it's everyone's motivated by who Peter needs to like end up with. Well, it's and ironic because because Peter doesn't care about Betty at all. He's like, uh, that's well, it's it's good that he's out of here, so she must not be really care about him. But I'd rather actually follow Jane Jones Jameson, that mysterious guy. Why, why do I have to get settled with the hot chick and the guy who's leaving her? You know, freeing me up to you know get a ticker off for once and for all. I'd rather follow the old guy in the in the soccer. Cut to the old guy in the soccer where we meet face to face Farley Stillwell as he uh, as has been showing to. Make a, a mouse swim and a fish uh, survive on land. <laughs> Wacky science. Uh, <laughs> Josh, Josh is about to explode. Cut, cut to the rat, like, dying. <laughs> and, the fish, like, and the fish being suffocated. Sure, sure, naturally. But it's not science that I'm interested in right now. I want you to work on a special project for me. If it works, I'll pay you 10,000 big ones. 10,000 <laughs> <Skin> plate. <clears throat> big yeah. one sounds good to Farley Stillwell. So while he does have his qualms and hesitations, he decides to work for the maniacal newspaper man and the crazy stalker. Cut to, uh, for some reason, Matt Gargan needs to shave all of his all of his body hair off. So while they're experimenting on him, very well then drink this. I know I shouldn't agree to this mad scheme, but heaven forgive me, I must have the money to carry on my work. So m- money, money and science precedes ethics and morals, and as we see. Matt Gargan in a sort of radiation science chamber. He's glowing and, and fusing, and his, his body's become all muscle now. I feel like a living dynamo. I've become all muscle. I can lick anybody. Oh, really? So, Hello. <laughs> Watched you down there, love. Um, <laughs> that's one for you, Stephen. Um, uh, while this nice. is happening, they're, they're, they're creating, you know, every scorpion has a tail, so let's give him a tail. Yeah, they they figured they could give him scorpion abilities because scorpions are greater than greater arachnids than spiders. He has superhuman strength and can control the tail with his mental commands for one reason or another. Why is Farley Stillwell short of money? He's a genius. In the space of time it took a guy to shave his head, he'd managed to get enough serum to give this guy scorpion powers, and then within a very short amount of time, we're talking like an hour, he's whipped up a cybernetic tail. 
Why is he not employed by like Stark Tech or Roxon or uh, whoever else is a big corporation at this time? Because he doesn't wash. And oh, has- right. But well, that's the thing. Like all, all scientists are always like strapped for cash, even though they have the the technology that they could always sell on eBay to get cash. Um, I, it's just I, the guy's a genius. <laughs> well, he's always like, I need money, so two thousand dollars will certainly pay for my electronic uh, uh, hamburger Stop. maker or something. And then leaves. Oh, going, oh, you missed the best bit. What's the that? random block of granite just sitting on the table in case he happens to give proportional strength to Scorpion to any passing thugs. <laughs> so yeah, they might happens. demonstrate their powers, yeah, you know, as everyone should have. What, what he's not doing that to my block of granite. I use that thing. Actually, I was going to say some of his his, his costume, but I'll, I'll save it for afterwards. But um, we cut to the airport. Uh, I, I think it actually is the JFK airport. Airport where um, how so? How long will Ned be gone, Betty? At least six months, Peter. Oh, that's too bad. Hooray! And it's, and it's We're about minutes. nine issues. I, I, I think you're misreading that. I read it as, how long will he be gone, Betty? At least six issues, Peter. Oh, that's too bad. Aside, hooray, that gives me enough time to play out one of my romantic subplots without any interference. Or so okay. you think. How, how was that car ride, by the way? I that just don't been... get it. Like, well, he's, inviting... well, Peter says he enjoyed it, for one reason or another. Ned oh, oh. invites Peter along for the ride to the airport. See, I always figured it as like, because um, Peter's like, well, they must not have been that serious. But Ned proposes to her within one issue of being back from Europe. Spoiler alert! And you can argue Isn't that, right they, to her? yeah, you can argue that they grew closer in their leathers. But my interpretation is, is that you know, aside from Aunt May like tipping them off, you know, they propose to this girl, and I'll give you ten thousand dollars. That's why they're always so broke. Is that that whole like <laughs> thing? The three of them were just standing there, and it was just one of those really, really awkward moments. And Ned just blurted out, uh, hey, hey want to come to the airport with us? And he regretted it the moment that he said it. He's like, well, Peter's not going to say yes. And then Peter said yes. And then to Ned's, like, you know, like, disgust, Benny acted like she was going to have an orgasm over it. Like, oh, Peter, you're going to cut, like, that's the most exciting thing <laughs> on the whole page. He's like, oh, that means that we can be alone in the car together on the way back. Which, like, Ned is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah this, this has turned out to be another great plan of mine. Or maybe he just doesn't that's understand how the game is played. Oh. Is that Steven? I was about to say, just she just needs to put some eyes on that overactive for JJ again. <laughs> There's just, I mean, uh, th- 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 that's how I interpret the scene. That like it was just so awkward, and then just blurted out, "Hey, how about you come with us?" Oh, stupid me. Oh, well, he's not going to do it. Sure, don't. <laughs> so that, um, all right, they're just like so. Betty, you know, yeah. dating both of us. Who's a better kisser? It's, 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 like, it's, it's like Ned's like so, Betty. Like 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 four minutes pass by. He, he like leans in. Was he better than me? And then she's like Ned. And, and Peter's like yeah yeah yeah. Talk about that. And she's like um, um I think that you can see the plane in front of us. If I was Peter and I wanted to be like a big jerk, I would have been like sure I'll ride with you guys. Hey, you know what would be a hoot? Let's invite Liz Allen along also. <laughs> For no reason at all. But oh, I guess God. all this kind of throws away our, our theory that like after that second vulture fight. When they're kneeling behind the desk, they didn't just like get it on right there, because I think that if they had, that like you know, they'd be a little more exclusively acting right now. So I guess the whole theory is just gone. And I like oh, that. Oh, I like that theory. I, 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 I mean, we joked around about that, but I mean, I don't think that anything actually happened with them. Uh, I had like a whole movie scripted out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a movie, well, or, or mean, call, call it a scene. If you have a budget of thirteen dollars, you can probably produce that thing and market it. Big spider pizza. A dollar for every inch. So moving on, 
all right. Enough, enough of that. Um, well, actually, like, there's like, you know, Betty, I'm no right to expect you not to date other boys, but yet sometimes I kind of wish, please, Peter, let's not talk about that right now. I'm not in the mood. And I would have been like, bitch, what? But that's not, that's not, that's not what Peter says. He should have said it more loudly, at least. He no, runs away. Peter should have shoved her down the stairs of her apartment building and, and been like, after all the grief you've given me about Liz Allen. Oh, you don't want to talk about that right now. You don't want to talk about that right now. But they talk about something because they get back to the bugle and she's all like, thanks for writing me back. Sure, Betty. I really enjoyed it, honey. And, like, uh, yeah. It's in Europe forever, which technically Europe is his final resting place. <laughs> so he will be in Europe forever. Peter runs into the alley and changes into the spectacular, amazing, sensational Spider-Man. He wants to know what's going on with, with J. Jonah Jameson and the stalker, so he climbs to his building. But Jameson's acting a little off. Don't just dang on the ledge that way. You might fall and hurt yourself. Come in, have a chair, have a seat. Hey, you, just, you almost sound like a real human being. What, is this a gag? Or am I in the wrong place? Not at all, Spider-Man. I just want to talk to you. I don't I, I sound like a Bond villain all of a, all of a sudden. Yeah, right now. And then Spider-Man Spider is not a dope. He's like, all right, right, yeah, this is a trap. So I'm out of here. And he's like, crap, the, the, the scorpion is not out there yet. But actually, the scorpion is uh, uh, literally on top of Spider-Man. And we get, and a, of if us... we get another Ditko, like, you know, rape scene. <laughs> we do. Uh, all right. Uh, right. Well, just, can I just ask it? something before we get into the next bit of your recap, Josh? Uh, I think I might, I might have missed this, but I just want to be clear on this. The issue starts with Peter being trailed by Gargan, who's working for Jameson, because Jameson wants to know something about Peter. But there's no point in this issue where Peter knows that Gargan's working for Jameson. No, there is, because they, they walk out of the office it's, and he says, that's the guy who was tailing me with Jameson. I want to be with them, but I, I have to go with really? Yeah. yeah, right before the airport trip, um, he sees Gargan leaving Jonah's office with Jonah. Oh, right. Uh, okay. So in that case, my next question... Peter's so paranoid about his identity that if he expresses admiration for Spider-Man, he thinks that people will think that he is Spider-Man. So why, when he knows that as Peter Parker has been trailed by Jameson, does he go visit him as Spider-Man to ask him why Parker's being trailed? What, what, what's going on in his head there? <laughs> pay, no pay no attention to the writer behind the green curtain. Right. <laughs> oh, I shall pay no attention to that writer behind the uh, green curtain. Uh -huh. Oh. You know, that's a very legitimate question. <laughs> uh, Peter's an idiot? Yeah, yeah, a bit. But what is an idiot is... Uh, that's no, that's, I have no safe way for that. Honestly, this, this, this leads into like, one, of the awesome, one of the several awesome fights in this, in this, this issue. Yeah, the, the Scorpion like, sexually tackles Spider-Man. They land on the roof where they start battling. He knocks him, he knocks him in the face with his tail. Spider-Man tries to get him with the left hook, but gasp, it doesn't work. Like, his, his skin is as hard as a brick wall. Scorpion proceeds to beat the living crap out of Spider-Man by punching him, socking him in the gut with his tail, uh, grabbing his head of the tail, and just punching him. Spider-Man tries to get the upper hand by using his falling momentum to web him in the face, and Scorpion's all covered in his web fluid, but he actually finds out, wait, Scorpions have pincers, so he just slices right through it. The webbing okay. doesn't work at all. The problem is, yeah, finger pincers, that, that, that makes no sense to me. Uh, uh, cut to someone yelling science. Uh, <laughs> and he only used them because he just remembered he had uh, scorpions have them so suddenly he's got them that's <laughs> how it works the um the top right panel there with him uh trapped in the webs that is adapted into the closing credits of the spider-man 67 cartoon show really yeah oh they were that cheap every oh it's not the same art i mean it's not the exact oh. drawing but 
that shot right. him in that pose covered in webs is redrawn into the uh, Scorpion episode that, and then used in, in the closing credits. It's also, it's also the, like, the, you actually see, like, them trying to erase out the letters, but you can see some more of the, the word balloon in the actual cartoon. Yeah. No, you, you can't, but, you know. Yeah. You can only imagine. <laughs> so as, as Scorpion is, like, 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 destroying the web fluid, he actually throws it back at Spider-Man who can't get out of it. So it's like, uh-oh. And as that's happening, Scorpion punches the crap out of him, picks him up, and throws him into the water tower like a boss. And also, a lot like how Dr. Octopus did through him out of a window in issue three. But before that happens, Farley Stillwell says, according to my calculations, the new Scorpion would be even more powerful than I thought. The more his strength increases, the more his evil nature will take over. That doesn't make any sense. So he runs over to try to stop this madness. He says, like, I must have been mad to do what I did. And I'm like, yeah, you think? Just maybe a little bit? As Spider-Man is, is lying, lying on the ground unconscious like a bitch, Scorpion's like, if I can be Spider-Man, I can take anybody! And even the world! So he so he jumps to the nearest building and, and starts his criminal career as a supervillain. This James guy was, was a like, private investigator mere pages ago. It, it's funny how, how life goals have changed in like a span of minutes or hours or whatever. He jumps on top of the, the, the armored car that the Sandman will eventually rob in Spider-Man 3 and knocks out the guards easily. Jameson's about, you know, I gotta call Stillwell because if, if this gets back to me, I'll be screwed publicly. Spider-Man wakes up and is his costume's trash. He's really taking a beating. But he's, he's not, unlike several issues uh, before and after, he's not gonna give up. He's gonna find, find him and just try again. Try, try again. Never give up. Never surrender. Stillwell, Still, Stillwell tracks down the Scorpion and says, hey, take the serum, man. Otherwise you'll lose your um, distinction between right and wrong. And Scorpion's like, okay, let me take... Actually, I'm not going to do that. Let me call up and con- continue to be a supervillain. Stillwell's like hysterical at this point, so he tries to follow him by climbing up the building, and by the time he reaches the third floor, he starts to fall, so he chucks the thing at, at the... He chucks the vial of serum at Scorpion, but misses and just falls to his death. Bye-bye, Farley Stillwell. Farley Stillwell dies. Farley Stillwell is dead. He fell to his death. Drop that jewel sack, mister. This is it. Round two is Spider-Man tries to swing kick uh, the Scorpion, but the Scorpion dodges that. Scorpion tries to punch him, but Spider dodges that. The fight is on, and as the, as the punches start flying, Scorpion becomes more menacing and evil as Dicko draws his, his scrunched-up face to look more insane with rage. He has become the embodiment of all that is evil. Cut to J. Jonah Jameson learning that, that Stillwell has died, and Scorpion has become an a, all-out supervillain. Nobody knows it, but it's all my fault. I'm the one to blame. So the guilt and embarrassment have have have, have just just overflown this man as he's wondering what to do. Spider-Man gets thrown through a wall and thrown through a, another brick wall and just beaten again until the Scorpion just knocks him out. So he, he heads towards J. John Jameson since J. John Jameson knows who he is and decides to settle the score. Spider-Man grogs back to consciousness and is wondering what he's going to do next time he fights him until he hears, Help! A scream from the direction of James' office. And it's not like Betty. Yeah, it's contrast like Be- Betty's reaction here the Betty's reaction to the Scorpion nine issues later. Oh, does she, like, go does she crazy later? She goes catatonic. And, like, she yeah, has she to have does. a nurse, like, look after oh, her. Oh, God, yes. Then, like, Lee has to drive her home. And, like, she has to, like, miss work. He doesn't even but touch her. Aunt May comes and uh, visits her in hospital, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jameson tries to shove her out of the out of the room as Scorpion is crashing through the window, and Scorpion is like, "That's very heroic, Jameson, but it won't do any any good." And Jameson takes the time to think out, "Heroic, bah! I just don't want anybody to know that it was me who helped create him." 
Spider-Man swings right through the broken window, and they start having a close-quarters combat battle inside Jameson's very office. But Spider-Man uses in- his ingenuity this time to web Scorpion's feet to the ground, grabbing and yanking off the tail. As But then Scorpion grabs his wrist. But Spider-Man, in close-quarters combat again, uppercuts him and just punches him down until he defeats the Scorpion once and for all. Jameson's like, you beat him! You defeated someone who's stronger than you! Haven't you ever heard of David and Goliath? No, no, no. So with that that rather violent but but well-humored fight out of the way, a short time later, Peter gets to a mirror where he says, "Man, I'm really cutting bruised. What do I say?" So he just he just says that he'll he he got beat up in a football accident or some such nonsense. He walks by and and the, and so later on, Flash and the gang make fun of him for for you know looking like a, a car accident. Uh, victim, but as soon as Peter says, "Okay, shut up! I want to take care of you once and for all," Flash is like, "Oh no, not again! You're not going to use me as your alibi." So he goes, he gets home, and Aunt May acts like an annoying housewife. He says, "Honestly, Peter, you shouldn't play with those roughneck schoolboys. You know how fragile you are." Oh, come off with Aunt May! And as he's trying to, you know, take his lumps to get his bandages up, he's he talks to Betty on the phone, and she says. Oh, Mr. Jameson saved me. He's a hero. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? Give him a medal for it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, actually, Jameson actually is held as a hero. Scorpion caught. Jameson is a hero with his annoying, his annoying mug on the on the newspaper. But well, that comes out. I mean, that's a big deal because later on it comes out that he was behind the Scorpion, and that's that's bad. I know that anyone who's too powerful is liable to turn him in sooner or later. And Spider-Man is no exception. It's still my duty to find him, to expose him, and someday... To destroy him! And I will. It takes the rest of my life. And we end the issue with Peter sewing up his battered and tattered Spider-Man uniform. That a result of the battle with this scorpion. Hope you enjoyed it. The end. And a hypno-coin. <laughs> so, um, I think this was the first time that Spider-Man was ever actually pummeled into unconsciousness. And like, it is awesome. Scorpion just thrashed him into that water tower and knocked him out for a period of time. I don't think that's ever happened before. I could be wrong. I know. That, I, know I think you said, John, that you, this is one in the past where you've read that you not really care for. This is this is like like the best fight that's done so far in the series. I think I, it's really like action packed and like like Spider-Man gets knocked out twice. He just comes back and like waves his feet and punches him out. I, I really I love I love the fights in this thing. I really really do. It, it it's. It's better than I remembered it being. Um, I think, I think that in my set of twenty, um, coming off of the the grand trilogy of seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, this is almost just like a a, a not as good epilogue. I don't know. It's it definitely is, it is not a straight, like, a straight, you know, good guy, bad guy fight thing. I, I'll give you that. It's, it's rather, it's it's rather uh, typical. I like. But I, I just thought it was like very well done. I like his strength. I like his costume. I like how you know he was a good match for Spider Man and definitely gave him a thrashing. Uh, I actually have a note about the costume. I don't. I, I find it weird how his mask is that like his. There's like a it's like a Batman Beyond kind of thing where there's a mouth in the mask. Right. I I I I, I can never like I, that never makes any sense to me. So I wish that it was. I wish it was yeah. more like the, in the nineties cartoon where it's just like a hole for the mouth. And there's no such thing as a green scorpion. Yeah, there is if you attack it with a paintbrush. <laughs> I, I love how they um kind of reverse the Silver Age Stan Lee uh formula, no pun intended, of the villain not getting cured by the formula. Cause that is kind of the cliche that oh no, well we'll just give the guy the antidote and he'll turn back to normal and the story's over. But the formula gets destroyed halfway through the story. 
Right. And then the, the scientist who can even do anything to save him gets killed. So there's no hope for this guy anymore. Yeah. That's, not, that's absolutely not Professor Erskine at all, is it? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. A little bit of Erskine there. Um, I, the, the, what's his name? Stillwell. Um, is a fantastic scientist because in the space of the hour or so it's taken the scorpion to go on this rampage, he's knocked up not only a serum to cure the scorpion, but also about three litres of it. He's, he's, uh, got like, he's, like, he's got like a four year. He's got, he hasn't got a, a, a vial of it. He's got a bloody jug. What's he going to do? Bathe him in it? Hmm. Maybe. Why did he need to have his head shaved? I never understood that. Still well enjoys shaving men. He gets his head shaved. Like it's just like it's just like in there as it aside. It's like after his head was shaved. I have it's no idea. Probably, probably to do with the cybernetic uh, part of the tail and that you need it quite close proximity to the brain or it would need to go through the scalp. So Maybe it's all his, his hair goes back. I mean, I, you see him issues, several issues uh, unmasked with his hair. So I mean, Maybe it's like, all that energy zapping. The hair might catch on fire. I don't know. I remember uh, the 90s adaptation of this. Easy, that's the radiation. Radiation? Isn't that stuff dangerous? Doctor, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want. Don't check it out on me now. Radiation? Surely not. It promotes good circulation. Or any uh, of those no. other great claims that the smoking companies used to use. They actually later used this for very good character development for Jameson because during the Roger Stern run, the Hobgoblin used the journals of Norman Osborn to blackmail a bunch of people. And apparently Jonah had confessed to Norman Osborn before he went to Europe or died that he was responsible for the creation of the Scorpion. So he was being blackmailed for this, and uh, he uh, did a full confession on the front page of his paper and then retired as uh, editor-in-chief. Well, it came up again recently with the vomiting vulture because they were trying to say that since he was – since he has a history of being connected to creating supervillains, it's not unbelievable that he might have created the vulture. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing of him retiring as editor-in-chief and then Robbie stepping in and, like, you know, Jonah's not going to be running the paper anymore. It actually seems like a very big status quo change, but really all they did was change Jonah's title from editor-in-chief to publisher. And the his story's role, continued. It, yeah, his role was pretty much the same. I mean, the run immediately following that with DeFalco, they did try and subvert it by having Robbie be, like, a lot more involved and having, you know, Robbie be good cop, bad cop as editor-in-chief. Because Peter's like, oh, well, Robbie's my friend. He won't be so hard on me. And Robbie wasn't accepting all of Peter's photos, you know, if they were shoddy or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but that was a very big deal. It was at the end of issue, uh, I want to say 251. Of Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think 252 was Alien Costume. So speaking of the Alien Costume, I want to kind of round off our discussion with my own experience with this book. This is, of course, number 20. And as I've said, it was the uh, final issue collected in the three paperback reprints I had as a child. So between this issue and issue 341 from 1990, I knew nothing when I picked up that issue, number 341. And so I had to like you know learn the whole 90s Spider-Man, how all his life had changed. And eventually I did get some back issues, but only the Alien Costume Saga trade paperback, and I found a copy of Annual Number 5 for cheap. So until two years ago, that's all that I knew about Spider-Man. And, um, but I have to say, with the trilogy we just completed over the last couple episodes, and then this story, that story left a minor plot thread leading into this. It's kind of like you know, the whole collection went out on a bang. Although it, it's, it's, it's grown on me uh, as I've gotten older, these, this last issue has. 
so these last four were like a really solid ending to that collection. So after this um, is all relatively new Spider-Man to me. This is also like this is the most beat up Spider-Man's gotten so far, right? I would say he's, so. He is seriously like they really put him through the gauntlet trash. this time. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did <laughs> there. He's not unconscious twice. His costume's all torn. He has bruises everywhere. But he 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 sticks to it and just like knocks the crap. He beats up and just it knocks out the guy that J. Jonah Jameson hired in J. Jonah Jameson's own office. Awesome. The Jonah takes some time to point out the irony when he's looking at his destroyed office. My secret is safe for now. But what supreme irony! I was saved from a menace whom I helped to create, <laughs> saved by the one he was created to destroy. Oh, the twisted gods of fate and how they laugh at us. <laughs> that would be so almost we... as ironic as somebody profiting from taking pictures of themselves that are being used to discredit them. <laughs> almost does. Almost. So what do we think of the what do we think of the, the scorpion? Like, is he? He, he's, it seems to me like in the comic books, he's kind of like a, like a B villain that's not really used all that. It's kind of like the, the one that you assume is a joke character. But I always thought growing up on the 90s show that he was sort of an A-lister kind of character who would like beat the crap out of Spider-Man. But apparently, from what I understand, it's not the case. I think he should – I mean I think that if I were writing a Spider-Man story and I wanted him to go up against a, uh, a powerhouse that could tear him apart, I would put uh, – Scorpion would be one of the main things I would choose. He He has strength. He has – you know, some quirkiness, but still effective costume use. I would say, you know, he should be considered one of Spider-Man's hit villains. He's just not someone that people like to pull out a whole lot. And now he's Venom, so there is no Scorpion anymore, unless you want to choose Scorpia or Scorpion the girl or whatever. Scorpion Steven, what do you think about the whole... Well, there's a whole, a whole Venom thing. What is our British thought? One of the reasons why I think that um, Scorpion should be as a better villain for Spider-Man is simply because he's the first, I guess, almost ideological opposite to Spider-Man. The, the basis for the powers are the same, although how they came about differently. And he's effectively an evil version of Spider-Man, just uh, using a different animal. And whilst I'm not into you know the whole representation of animals, especially when you get to mystical things and uh, anything that's happened really over the last five years, I think he, sh- he should be more than he is. But the way that Matt Gargan is in the comics right now uh, is very effective. Even if he's completely batshit crazy, and um, <laughs> yeah, they, they turn into like, like always venom, so he has to be like the worst villain ever. Let me eat people and everything. Wow. Yeah, he's he's eating hookers now. Oh. I mean, and uh, I'm, I'm, I wish I could stop <laughs> exaggerating, but I'm not. He's he's eating hookers. Did he eat the girl? Oh wait, I was thinking of anti venom. Yes, yes, venom did eat the girl. Yeah, because anti venom had a had a, a a drug addict that he carried around with him for that miniseries. Well, I think that Venom as a whole, as a concept, has just gone off the rails. Like, not only in, like, his motivation, but in his powers. Like, Venom's powers were not as elaborate as they are now. Where, like, he turns into, like, 3,000 feet tall and, like, will eat you and stuff. And so, well, I guess, as we've drifted on talking about Venom, I guess it's a good point time to talk about, uh, where are we? The scene on page 15, where Jonah's in his office weighed down by the guilt of having created a guy who's robbed a bank. Um, do you not think... I mean, I, don't, I can't remember the state if Jonah knows that Matt Gargan is now Venom. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but surely, at any point when he does know, shouldn't he be taking a bullet to the head? <laughs> you would think. I mean, he has a hell of a lot to answer for here. Yeah. I mean, the, this is probably the worst thing Jonah has ever done. Spider slayers are nothing in comparison. Because they uh, always fail. Yeah, <laughs> for a start. 
Um, but yeah, they um, indirectly, he is responsible for every death uh, caused by the Gargan version of Venom. Because it, I think it's safe to say if it hadn't been for Gargan becoming Scorp, Ian, he probably wouldn't have become Venom. It's true. No, he was just a, a PI before this. I mean, he, he liked cash as much as the next guy and thought the scorpion this would be a good way to make some. But there was uh, also the, wasn't there an issue like like right before the like right in the end with, with Peter meeting Ben where Scorpion was like a a good guy. Simon just like found him and just beat the shit out of him. Like, like he, he ripped his he costume like, off. He's like, I can never take my costume off. And Scorpion's like, Yes, you can. Then he ripped it off of him. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, expecting to see Jameson dead on the floor, his mayoral office, revolver in hand, brains on the back wall. <laughs> leaving a stain behind, of course. Miss Brandt, get me a revolver. When he calls me Miss Brandt, I feel like I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. In the middle of that speech, like, you hear a gunshot. Like, when he calls me Miss Brandt, I feel like a hundred years old. It's, it's like just, the scene in Kick-Ass where they're just sitting in the car talking about going to the theater, and you can hear the guy getting tortured and shot in the background. Um, just whilst we're on page 15, the last panel, that's the splash panel from the first page, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's it right there. Ah. So, have a look. Are you all looking at the one on the first page? I'm switching back and forth. Yeah, I'm kind if of CBR. If you have a look between the two images, <laughs> does it not seem like Steve Ditko has learned how to draw the scorpion between page 1 and page 15? Because on the first <laughs> page, that tail is massively out of proportion. It's tiny. His arms are bigger oh, than yeah. his tail. Right. Um, yeah, by the time you get there, it's actually all in the right shapes and sizes and directions and whatever yeah Other terms. so he had to figure it out as he went along but yeah going to the letters page there is a letter from Riemann or Ryman a Rots jr he says just a note to let you know how much your comics are appreciated here at waybash college this is an all men's school so we have to do something for entertainment your comics are cheaper than movies and almost as relaxing your unparalleled imaginations and talent for flippant remarks have drawn a loyal, if somewhat neurotic, following almost all of us in the Philly house here, the Fiji house here. And the reply is, good to hear from you fellow neurotics. By the way, keep your eyes peeled. Peter Parker will have to go to college sooner or later, and you might see him skipping around the campus at Waybash someday. So I think this is the first hint of um, their developing plans to have Peter graduate from high school. Yeah, that's, that's probably true, but I mean, it's not like... The idea was never because, like, you know, even AF fifteen, it's like, oh, you're gonna get a scholarship someday. So, but I, I, I'm not gonna disagree. Well, either. I mean, Archie, you know, he he hasn't graduated yet, so I guess it, it is gonna get several mentions over the next several months of letters columns. The idea of him going to college. So I think it is. I think it is a growing notion. But this is the first <laughs> I've seen it mentioned. The idea of him—he's in college like like for like over ten years. Right. <laughs> well, so was I. So. So so are most Americans nowadays. So A lot of people graduate after eight years. They're called doctors. Ken Dixon says issue 16 with Daredevil was the greatest of all time. Mark Harkins says people are committing suicide between issues because a month is long to wait. That seems a bit extreme, but, you know, whatever. That's, uh, wow. Yeah. That's rather accurate. There is, of course, lots of praise for the annual as well, including the full-page splash images. But Charles Lichtman called them on the carpet for advertising all their other books in the middle of the story. It was like, could have done without all those little caption boxes saying all your other titles that you publish. Aldo Falcon or Falchon asked for Spider-Man to face the Scarecrow because the Scarecrow was such an original villain. He wasn't at all copied off of a Golden Age Batman villain who had lent beer five <laughs> figures after this comic. 
So uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, wait. <laughs> Who did the Scarecrow fight? Because I don't remember him at all. Uh, Iron Man, amongst others. Oh, right. I, that, so the, that, 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 that Batman Scarecrow like, had, had a long hiatus, though. So it's easy to see that like he could have been forgotten about. Still. What, what, what was... what was Okay, I, cause I, I saw him in DC vs. Marvel and in the Sensational issue, because... Uh, like, like whoever's writing sensational, like through Tsukasa, like brought a lot of random villains. What was his shtick? Was he just a scarecrow, or did he have the whole fear gas thing? He did not have fear gas. He was a scarecrow. He had birds, and as in the, in the stories that I've seen, that's all he has. And the last that's letter nice. that popped out to me was um, from Sandy Loomis, and I think I have another letter from her in another one of the issues we're going to cover in our next uh, recording. But um, she says, "Dear Stan and Steve, I've been reading the letters about having Spider-Man join a team." I say having Spider-Man join a team is like having Jonah Jameson dating Aunt May. Oh, no! Say now. Stay tuned. What about There's an idea. It's about time Aunt May found herself a fella. Now she can just get over her crush on Doc Ock. And I'm just like, that whole thing is so prophetic. It's that like, makes you want to just kill yourself. Because you're having to wait a month between issues? I'm thinking that the, that Scarecrow did not have any appearances between 1941 and 1967. Okay. I knew he was a Golden and, Age baddie, but... Well, and, and even in the Golden Age, he appeared in World's Finest Comics, which was like a satellite title at the time. Yeah. And there's a really cool pinup of Peter Parker posing in his uh, studies, and then the uh, old webhead doing all ditko action in the next panel. There's a little diptych going on there. Our house ads, this issue, uh, one of them covers Fantastic 434, featuring Gideon. It's an issue I have to say I really just don't care for. Um, I do applaud Lee and Kirby for trying something different with that villain, but I think they just realized it just didn't work because they never went back to that kind of story for the Fantastic Four after that, at least not as far as I know. Um, also, the Avengers 11, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, and Journey into Mystery 111. I'm not a Thor reader. I plan to change that at some point. So I, all I can tell you is that this issue features the return of Cobra and Mr. Hyde. And that's all I know. Strange Tales 128 will be covered on the X-Men blog. It had Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch going up against the torch of the thing. Sergeant Fury 13 was cool because it featured Captain America and Bucky in their World War II incarnations. And then Tales to Astonish 63 introduces the Wrecker as a giant man villain and continues Hulk's first uh, serial adventure that would soon be introducing the leader. And those were the ads, and that was Amazing Spider-Man 20. And now, the Avengers number 11. As I said earlier, both the books for this app were released on October 8, 1964, but this book has a cover date of December, not January. And oh my god, what happened to that cover? It's uh, kind of a cool design, with Spider-Man catching all the Avengers in his web, and the cover is Kirby pencils and Dick Ayer's inks. It's weird. It's a good design, I guess, but someone really messed up with Spider-Man's mask. It's colored wrong, and... He's got this weird blue Mr. Terrific T thing going on. Yeah, no idea what's going on there. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And the web that they're caught on is, I don't know, kind of lazily done. I, mean, I say lazily done. It's a whole lot of lineage, but... It's very geometric. Yeah, he drew circles and then drew rays. I would have drawn fewer lines and made them look more web-like. So it looks kind of terrible. Another oddity is that Iron Man is on the cover, but he won't be appearing in the book. So if you only buy the Avengers because you're an Iron Man fan, they roped you in, but you'll be disappointed. But in big words, co-starring Spider-Man, enough said. So this is kind of cool because we're going to see Spider-Man either teaming up or fighting with the Avengers. The opening splash is like Don Heck took the same prompt of Spidey catches the Avengers in a web and did a completely different kind of design with it. And but look, 
now there's no Iron Man. The captions read, the mighty Avengers meet Spider-Man. And the only blur we can write is, wowee. I have to confess, though, that I can't see the phrase Mighty Avengers now without thinking of the second Avengers team that, to me, was secondary to new Avengers throughout its run. So every time I see the Mighty Avengers now, I think of the not really the real Avengers because the new Avengers are the real Avengers. But now they're different Avengers, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Also, reintroducing the mysterious Kang. But wait, what about the Dark Avengers or the Secret Avengers? Oh, yes. Or Avengers Avengers Academy. (laughs) I never thought that there'd be a day where the Avengers would have more books than the X-Men. It's kind of crazy. I can only think that like they're just taking the name and capitalizing on it. Because why make a new team with a new name that no one's ever heard before when you can use the word Avengers in your title and sell more books? That's, that's got to be the, the Marvel's thing. such a whore. <laughs> so we're in, reintroducing Mysterious Kang. He had been introduced three months earlier in issue number eight. He was an alter ego of Rama Tut the pharaoh from the future who had fought the Fantastic Four in ancient Egypt. We do have a spectacular story by Stan Lee, incomparable illustrations by Don Heck, dazzling delineation by Schick Stone, and lacrimose lettering by Sam Rosen. And those of you who in the audience who aren't sure, lacrimose means it makes you cry. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, in our story, Thor has called a meeting of the Avengers. Tony Stark has been presumed dead due to events in Tales of Spence number 61. But they're going to keep on using his house anyway for hanging out. (laughs) Problem is, since Stark died, Iron Man's been gone too. And after Captain America suggests retiring for 24 hours in honor of Stark's memory, Giant Man suggests Stark would want them to continue. But let's that is the stupidest thing in the world. I know. Let's retire for 24. And then like in those 24 hours, Godzilla's attacking the city and Dr. Doom holds the world hostage. So the Avengers should continue because Tony Stark would want it that way. But we're going to give Iron Man a leave of absence since, you know, we have no clue where he is. Uh, Cap agrees after slapping down Rick Jones for talking in the meeting. Get down, boy. You're not a real Avenger. (laughs) So, their meeting's done, but unbeknownst to the Avengers, the entire proceedings has been observed by Kang the Conqueror from his home in the year 3000. I have to wonder how often Kang takes a peek into the past, and exactly at whom does he point his camera? I mean, does he have, like, a Janet Pym shower video collection? Oh, you know he does. I would. As well as as a Rick Jones shower collection. (laughs) The the, the very concept, hey, they're both teenagers, the very concept of Kang is... It's like, oh, curses, I didn't defeat them. Well, you would have known if you defeated them because uh, you have a time machine. Just check in the future to see if you're like, you would have known that your plan stupid. Even his first line shows just how little Kang really understands this time travel business. I've waited patiently for my chance to strike back at the accursed Avengers, and at last it has come. Dude, Kang, you don't have to wait around for this stuff. You can just change your channel and go to whatever point in time you like. Or attack them, like, right after they finished your last battle with them. That way, every time that you're defeated, you can take a six-month vacation and then just point your time travel machine to two minutes after, like, they defeated you last. That way, they're in a continual loop of battling you. Exactly. I want to show my age again, because uh, the Avengers are, like, the characters I know probably the least of. I have no idea what King's deal is. Like, is he a time traveler now? Like, I literally, like, I barely, I, I just know the name. He's he basically the, the future. Con- <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's the opposite of the Legion of Superheroes. He, he, he lives a thousand years in the future and keeps on jumping back in time to um, stop the Avengers. <laughs> and, it never, and it never works. It what never works. 
he Why was that. Why did you go back in time for him to do that and like, prevent him from like committing suicide in the forward in time? He was that Pharaoh guy, um, in one of the early Fantastic Four issues, right? Who like made Sue his uh, sex slave in ancient okay. Egypt, but he had futurist techno- technology, and he goes back to the future and changes his clothes from Pharaoh clothes to blue mask and purple. Is he an alien? I we th- there's been suggestions that he's a descendant of Doctor Doom. Okay. <laughs> so, Kang and Ramatut and Doctor Doom and a couple of other personas. Uh, are all wrapped together in their in their mythology. It's kind of intentionally confusing. Stanley intentionally made it confusing just to say that time travel is confusing. So we're going to make yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stanley intentionally made it confusing. Sure. Well, that's what he said. <laughs> he said that was like our the, attempt. To, that was our attempt at showing how it, how confusing time travel can be. I succeeded. <laughs> so Kang is a little chicken and he doesn't want to face the Avengers himself. So he decides he's going to send a robot. Because just as my ancestor, Doctor Doom, is the greatest robotic creator of the 20th century, so am I, the greatest of my century. But being of the future, my talents are even far greater than his. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What about the what about the Smies? I mean, you know, they're pretty good at robots. <laughs> Especially the Mega Slayer. It has rocket launchers, missiles, pulse blasters. I'm sorry, I, I just I just done reviewing an episode where he just goes off and on about this robot. <laughs> well, the Smythes haven't been created by Stan Lee yet, so King doesn't know about them yet. Right, yeah. I love how the serial is like, you know, and the gang of gangsters where he's like, you know, Magneto, Doctor Doom, Mysterio, like in the middle, like he's like like the most like mysterious of all, and he's like, you know, a B-list Spider-Man villain. Yeah, I mean, he scans this team of villains, like Mysterio and some others, and contemplates making a team of baddies, but no, I shall use but one robot to defeat the <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> and what does he do? He watches some home videos of Spider-Man swinging webs, fighting Kraven, taking a shower, changing in the change room, and decides to use him as a model for his robot. Mm-hmm. But. Robot but, was anatomically correct. The, the, cover, the cover said the book would be starring Spidey. Not a Spidey robot. I feel... I feel betrayed. And then, and then the next page is a full-page blast of Stanley saying, you know, I bet you're really freaking out now, huh? With the mugging at the camera. <laughs> as far, don't worry, as far as I'm concerned, this never happened. <laughs> oh, God. So Kang makes a Spidey robot, not Spider-Man, a Spider-Man robot, and then after carefully giving the life-like looking robot the most minute instructions, Kang sends him to the 20th century by the mere flick of an electronic switch. And so begins another in the universally acclaimed series of mighty Marvel Masterwork battles. So Spider-Bot shows up in downtown New York and helps Captain America take out some thugs. Then he asks if he can join the Avengers. Cap says he can't make the decision alone, but he does offer to take Spider-Man back to the headquarters. Of course, Giant Man and the Wasp are ready to beat him up, which is probably understandable after the way they parted before. Didn't exactly have the best of meetings last time. I don't trust him. Everything about spiders makes my wasp's instinct tingle with hate and loathing. Wow. She's still on this? She is still on this. It will not go away. I wonder when it does go away. I know this is not the last time, because we definitely have uh, Spider-Man Annual 3, and she brings it Yeah, that's... Yeah. Good lord, man. Or woman. (laughs) Um, Thor says they can't just bring him in at the drop of a hat. Accepting a new member requires certain tests. And a period of trial, because the team has accepted so many new members over the 15 months they've been together that they have procedures for it. Uh, did they make Captain America do that? I think Captain America is the only person who wasn't here on the first issue. Well, they don't have Hulk and Iron Man anymore. 
That's true. But they haven't brought any new people on. But yeah, but the whole wasp thing, I didn't even know that she had a wasp instinct. This this isn't the ultimates where she's a mutant. She just takes shrinking pills. There's nothing about her that should be having waspy feelings. Anyways. She takes her role very seriously. I guess. She clearly does. She probably, like, when she and Hank are in bed, she probably, like, role plays as a wasp. Like, ooh, let me sing you. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, wow, really? We're going to do this? Okay. Well, if you go by the Jeff Johns Avengers run, which I am aware of, <laughs> they, like, like, shrink back and forth down and go and, you know, go into each other's crotches and, you know, I guess, I guess you jumping jacks or something. Like, oh, it's your turn now. I have no idea what they could be doing there, but... Uh... My eyes are really wide. I, not, <laughs> I, I kid I, you not. I, I, I did not know about this. Really? Yeah, Jeff John's Avengers run. Yeah, they take shape-changing have... turns on each other. Or yeah. size-changing turns on each other. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Aren't they divorced? Well, that was like... His Avengers run was like, like in the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, but haven't so, they been divorced since the '80s? Like, are they are they just like kind of ex, you know, spouses who you know do each other sometimes? I think or, so. I think that's exactly what they are. So, Spider Robot offers to tell the heroes where they can find Iron Man. So now they're all upset that he's just like been playing them this whole time. So he tells them he saw Iron Man being hustled into a helicopter by some characters that he describes like Baron Zemo, the Executioner, and the Enchantress. Spider Robot inner monologues about Kang's awesomeness. And he tells the Avengers he overheard their destination as being the Temple of Tirod in Mexico, which, by the way, doesn't exist. You don't say. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> Thor is super pissed with a god's righteous fury that Spider-Man would keep this information from them until just now. And the Avengers light out to rescue Iron Man. Under standard operating procedure, the Avengers separate, each resorting to his own mode of travel. And I'm like, what the... F- when did this become standard operating procedure? And I know this is not an Avengers podcast, but I've read all these books. And at no point before or after this, at least in the, in the, remote, in the near future, do these rules exist. So we've talked about them making stuff up as you go, and this is a primo example. So Janet, <laughs> so Janet and Hank sneak a ride on a jet bound for Mexico, and they bail from it when it's over the temple. The wasp is flying, of course, and Ant-Man summons a flying ant to ride to the ground. And once there, they are attacked by Spider Robot. A flying ant? Yes. They, they exist, and I guess he knows exactly where to find them in Mexico. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> fine. You know what? Okay, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, Josh I, just I bows guess... to the insanity. <laughs> yeah, sure. Whatever, Stan. Please. <laughs> Okay, once, once they're on the ground, of course, they're attacked by the spider robot. And to me, this scene would be a great time to reference the fact that these guys have tussled before. Or at least that Hank and Janet think they have tussled before, since they don't know this Spider-Man ain't the real McCoy. But no, in fact, there is the occasional line that suggests this is, in fact, the first time they've met. So Stan has forgotten what he wrote three months before. Of course um, he did. Of course he did. So the battle goes with Hank constantly changing size to delude Spider-Man and the Wasp presenting painful distractions as well with her little stinger. But Spider-Robot finally gets him by wrapping his web around an enlarged giant man's wrists. But get this. He says, Ha! I outsmarted you this time, big boy. You're caught. And this webbing is elasticized. It will shrink right down with you if you try to escape that way. No, Donovan, say science. (coughs) Science! (laughs) Because that's not how elasticity works. Not even a little bit at all. 
Not even a little bit. Like, if you have something and you stretch it out, then maybe it'll go back to its regular size. But you can't make something shrink down and call it elastic. You call it, I don't know, pim particles. So as Spider-Robot turns his attention to the Wasp, the mighty Thor hurls himself into the fray. Thor hurls his hammer at Spider-Man, but the robot catches it in a web net. Thor immediately worries because, in case you out there in listener land don't know, Thor has to get his hammer back in hand within 60 seconds, or he changes to his mortal form of Don Blake. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thor's, in, Thor's in the Marvel wow, character. I don't, that's, I don't uh, that, that's kind of lame. Yeah, well, so is Don What Blake. if someone plays, like, Keep Away? <laughs> I'm really curious, actually, about how that whole thing is going to be handled in the film next year. If they're going to completely ignore that aspect of his character, or if they're going to do Don Blakeness at all, I it don't know. It'll probably know. be like the whole, I, like, 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 conversely, like in Green Lantern, do you, I don't think they're going to do the whole yellow weakness thing or the 24-hour charging thing. They're probably like, you know, eh, that's lame. Let's throw it out, Hollywood. I, I totally would, or at least make his, if they're going to use the name Don Blake, have it be like, you know, just something he uses to talk to people. But not be when like he, a totally different different physical identity. When he's not in like UFC fighting everybody. Right. That was such a badass trailer. Did y'all read y'all, y'all, y'all seen the trailer, right? I have it is pretty cool. Oh. So um Spidey throws web after web onto Thor, and he's managing to rip through them with his god's strength, but then the sixty seconds elapse and the webs overcome the lame Doctor Blake. And Spider Robot's all happy inside that he's doing so well. But the seemingly victorious Spider-Man might not feel so confident if he knew that he was being watched by another pair of cold, angry eyes. The eyes of the last one he would ever expect to meet. I wonder who that shadowy figure is. But next up against the Spider-Robot is Captain America outside the temple, which is a sort of ziggurat kind of construction, by the way. Basically a pyramid, but with like a stair-step design. Cap is making his way up the outside, and he sees Spider-Man just in time for the robot to dislodge one of the stones and hurl it Cap's way. Cap is able to dodge, and they fight briefly before Spider-Man knocks him off balance, and Cap begins a 100-foot fall to the ground. But Kang is watching, and is confused when Cap's fall is broken by a web net. So thinking... What? What? Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And he thinks his robot is malfunctioning. Why would he have saved Captain America with a webnet? So he sends the signal to have the robot gather the Avengers and send them into the future. And the panel to do this is um, actually built into the wall of the temple, which is weird. But before the fateful knob that he needs to touch can be touched, much less turned, Spider-Robot is pulled away by a web from behind. Another spider hand splooges thick, goopy fluid all over the panel to prevent its use. And <laughs> Spider-Robot is all confused because he wasn't told there would be another Spider-Robot. He's a little slow on the uptake because this is actually, finally, the real live Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. And a thousand years in the future, King gets his first severe setback. Kang wants to know how Spidey even found out this was happening. And Spider-Man tells the Spider-Robot, did you think you could prowl the streets of New York impersonating me without my own spider sense warning me of your presence? Maybe. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Absolutely not. I I, I actually thought that would probably have been a good plan because your spider sense isn't this divine omniscient knowing of everything that happens around you. 
It's not a do. I, I hope I'm saying this right. Do ex machina. Deus ex machina. Yeah. Deus ex machina. Would you like some more champagne? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, oh, the, the chameleon plots would never work, right? Every time he impersonates Spider-Man. So Spider-Man fights. He, he, so he didn't need Liz Allen to come to the house crying that Flash had impersonated him. <laughs> he, he would have known it already because of his spider. Yeah, his, his copyright sense would be tingling. And the thing is, it's the same guy writing both books. Why doesn't he keep it consistent? Why do you have like your omniscient spider sense and and your your ice web and all that other junk going on in the non-Spider-Man books? It's the same guy writing. I say Gur. I say Stanley. Stanley. I, 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 I have nothing left to say. <laughs> <laughs> so Spider-Man fights Spider-Robot and inner monologues about how it's just like fighting himself. And when Spider-Man throws the robot into the sun, or at least toward the horizon, the robot yes. decides to save himself just the way he would do it. First, I shoot out a thick spray of web fluid, which solidifies itself into wings in a matter no, of... No, 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 no! <laughs> <laughs> This, okay, this is this is going way too far with the whole web thing. Like like, like like Jeffrey Taylor Jeffrey Taylor would like like jump jump out the window right now. I know, right? And the funny thing is I wrote in my notes, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> Well don't worry. Peter's Peter Spider Sense, you know, knew that Aunt May was having a heart attack like, you know, five states over and Oh yeah. He can tell all. So, the image of two Spider-Men like flying to each other with with web wings. I know it's is, sp- is ridiculous. <laughs> so Spider-Man, the, 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 the Stanley is writing fan fiction. Exactly. This when the exact- creator of when the creator of the character is writing fan fiction about the character they created, I can kind of forgive Marvel Don Eck. Titans or the Titans. Yeah, I can kind of oh, forgive God. Don Eck for having like a, a lackluster knowledge of what Spider-Man kind of things he does, but I don't know. So the real Spider-Man does the same thing with the wings. We have two winged Spider-Men flying toward each other over the plains of Mexico. (sighs) When close enough, Spidey tosses his wings and lunges at the robot. He wins the day by pressing the fake spider's off switch and web parachutes to safety. And Jeffrey Taylor just cried a little inside. As did Donovan Grant. (laughs) And in the distance, the Avengers realize their Spider-Man was a robot and that only Kang could be behind it. But before anyone can do anything about it, the story ends. <laughs> Praise Allah. Someone was snoring. Steven? Betty. Steven? Liz. Okay, I, I know we're going late, Steven. What? <laughs> Your, your not-so-subtle hint is there. <laughs> Who's a what? Eh? Uh, so before before you uh, head off to bed, um, are there any thoughts that you have on this uh, issue? I was looking at the opening page, and then obviously the, the tedious and boredom of it sent me to sleep. I got a few thoughts. I, I think I've got five bits to pick up on most mostly things that I just don't like about the comics. It's not very good. There's some fun things where you point at them and go, what the hell are you doing? Um, there's a lot of procedure in this book, and I really hate it when the Avengers sit around the table and go, we're going to do this because it's what we do. Outside of whenever they do a who will be the new team issue, anytime they get together with a chairman, votes, motions, it's, it's all unnecessary and quite sort of precocious of them. To sort of stand there, This is our procedure, and it's very important because it's ours. 
and the idea that some of the most powerful heroes on the planet should do nothing for 24 hours because one of their number is missing, presumed dead. What's that? The Red Skull and the Mandarin have teamed up with the Puppet Master to enslave New York. Oh, sorry. I'm on an official 24-hour break from Avengering. We voted on it and everything. Ask Rick <laughs> Jones. He witnessed it. Yeah, it, it's just such a stupid thing to suggest. And it's the kind of thing that if, like, if you came into the story, you know, 100 issues in, and they made references like that, you would expect to see those rules as having been established at some point if you went back and reread, you know, the back issues. But no, they just come out of nowhere. Yeah, it's making things up as you go along. It, it, it's sort of it's an example of why, for instance, I never get on with a lot of the magical stories that comics do. Um, where, like the current stuff in Avengers, where Ben has a little trick of showing us the spell, naming the spell and what it does. We've never seen these spells before. There's no precedent. He can just say, oh, this is the spell of Fluffity-Boo, and it makes things go away. Uh, it, you know, it's all just made up to serve the purposes of the story rather than actually having any reason to be there. But yeah, I, I just don't like that kind of stuff. It's kind of weird reading this fake Spider-Man story following we've had um, two sort of uh, stories where the chameleon has taken over Spider-Man's life. One in Amazing Spider-Man as part of the gauntlet and one in Ultimate Spider-Man, which is still continuing. Because they've been done from the fake Spider-Man's point of view, but with a lot of in the monologue and stuff like that, it, and people have suspected that he's fake from everything that he does. Here Kang just so happens to build a robot agile enough to fool some of Spidey's closest colleagues into believing that it's him. Whilst all the time he never makes one single crack. Right. Uh, I can't imagine Kang was up there late at night going, I just can't get the banter right. Come on, Logic Suggets, <laughs> let's get the banter. Let's get the snark. Until he just gives up and sends him away. And just to note, the sort of the, all the scenes where we're, um, Kang's program is robot and there's... Uh, Sort of these. Uh, there's one panel on page five or six. I haven't quite got the numbers right. Where there's these sort of robotic tentacles coming out of nowhere towards the body of the thing. I think that would have looked fantastic if Jack Kirby had drawn it. But it's just missing that probably little extra detail that only Kirby could really have brought to it. When you think of some of the the crazy stuff he Kirby did for the Fantastic Four and how just otherworldly it seemed. That's what. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yes. Don yes. Hex bringing attempting to bring that, but he just doesn't have that touch that Kirby had. In building the robot, yeah, I see. Yeah, Don Heck is is no is no Jack Kirby. I mean, he's a great artist, and his Iron Man is a fantastic read, and it looks great. But I, I just when you get something like Kang, I just don't think that his style suits that so well. So Spidey wants to join the Avengers because he's faking the robot, and because the real Spider-Man has never wanted to join any superhero teams at all. And Thor says, "What does he say?" We do not accept any stranger merely because he possesses some power or other. There are certain tests and the periods of trial. And that just seems to me, uh, it reminds me of the Legion superheroes when they reject potential recruits for the most spurious of reasons, whilst all the time having Bouncing Boy as a card-carrying, ring-slinging member of the Legion. Uh, for <laughs> Christ's sake, it, it's Spider-Man. He's defeated Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who? Defeated Doctor Doom. Let him on the damn team, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, maybe in my uh, my fan fiction. <laughs> but what was it? Um, wasn't there a guy who was like arm fall off lad or something? <laughs> Quite possibly. I think I saw an actual panel where a guy can make his arm fall off. <laughs> there was a pseudo Medusa character, someone who controlled their hair, but they sneeze or something. Their hair went slightly crazy. Like, if you sneeze again, you could cause our doom and destruction. Get out! Boing boing boing. Yeah, you're useless. Boing, boing, boing. 
I, I love those. It's so obvious. It's like, hey, <laughs> my story doesn't fill the 20 pages it needs to. So let's have three pages of them trying people out and then rejecting them. Right. Random, random concepts for mm. super losers. That's uh, one of the reasons why I'm so happy Super Future Friends are almost back. And they can be found at superfuturefriends.blogspot.com. There's some later stuff that really, really... It's an example of something that really pees me off about comics and teams. When Ant-Man's being uh, trapped in the granite blocks, he, he yells, Wasp! Execute Maneuver 4A! On the double! This is like, I really hate when people say, Execute Maneuver 4A! Or, go on, do Move 6B! Or something like that. Just just do something about it there and then. You, you're taking yourself five seconds to tell someone to do something, which, if they're any good at all, would probably already know they need to do. I really hate it when people have a list of pre-prepared moves and then take the time to tell their partner which one they're going to do. That kind of over-obsessive preparation fails for me on two reasons. One is that they've sat down each night and gone, oh, I must try and account for any possibility that could happen in the history of ever and have a response to it. And sort of, hey, Jan, he's going for my jaw with his left fist. I'm going to execute maneuver 6D, ducking under the blow and reaching for the gun in his right hand to prevent him from shooting me. When in fact, he's probably going to get whacked around the face. Right. And two, it's, it removes their ability to improvise and cope with the unexpected. You know, just imagine Captain America going, one minute I was going toe-to-toe with crossbones, next scrolls are attacking. But I didn't anticipate that. I have no pre-planned maneuver. I could throw my shield, but oh, I didn't think about it in advance. So sod it, surrender the earth. And you never have somebody like call the wrong maneuver. You know, do 4A. 4A wouldn't work here, you fool. Uh, oh, wait, I, 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 I meant 27Z. Like, you have this list of numbered maneuvers in your head, and I wouldn't remember them all. Oh, completely. Um, You've got me good for, like, five this- maneuvers. You can name five things I can do with a number, and I'm good for that. But beyond that, absolutely. <laughs> Quick, execute maneuver 4B. Why would I want to get this guy flowers? Shouldn't I punch him? Just, oh, no, 4D then. So the last thing is when real Spider-Man turns up, and God knows why he's there, um, I- I'd lost patience with the issue and was kind of skimming by, the- by this point. There's a point where he says, how am I going to beat an enemy who has every ability I have? And he's saying that whilst he's fashioning wings out of web fluid and gliding into the sky. <laughs> really? So when exactly have you used that ability? It seems to me that he's got abilities you don't have. You know, the Vulture would be no threat at all to you if you remember the fact that you could do this. You wouldn't have even need to ride up to Jameson's space capsule. And those, right. uh, those scientists with the uncool bow ties, well, if they'd have seen you doing that wing thing, well, they could have sucked your web fluid. I just didn't like this issue. It, it's the kind of thing, if you're sitting there with whichever essential volume it's in, you sort of flick through it on your way to number 12 whilst feeling gently guilty about it, but ultimately not caring. Right. It's not particularly good, and it it's not good for the Avengers or for Spider-Man. Um, the sad thing is the Spider-Robot would actually return. What? In an issue issue number four of Spider-Man Team-Up from 1996. So we will mourn that. <laughs> so any any other thoughts on this story that didn't come out in the process of, re- of talking about it? This is the wackiest issue since the ice webbing. <laughs> yeah, when Spider-Man's not in his own book, wackiness Ooh. kind of ensues. Well, he's not in the book that it says co-star. He's supposed to be co-starring in. And someone wrote us an email. I forget which one it was that wrote us an email asking if we thought that Spider-Man got handled differently when he wasn't in his own book. And I don't yes, know what we absolutely. answered. Yes, <laughs> the answer is <laughs> a very definite yes. <laughs> Self-assured yes. So just to wrap up the episode with the um, with the delays we had, not having any uh, episodes able to get recorded in July, we've kind of lost a month. And Amazing Spider-Man Classics. 
so at the end of August, we are at Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we have 20 down and 620 to go, which means that we've made zero headway <laughs> since starting this show. But but that's kind of okay. And we'll, we're not and we'll make zero headway through the remainder of the show. <laughs> yeah, we're not really trying to catch up to current. It's just kind of, you know, something I like to keep track of. So... Do want to thank uh, Stephen Lacey for uh, for being on with us again this month uh, for these three episodes. Go ahead and take Yay! a minute and just talk about your uh, your web stuff you have going on. Yeah, so I run the World of Superman dot dot com, uh, which is the uh, chronological look at the life of Superman. Um, currently, slowly crawling towards the end of the Man of Steel, having gone through many many detours. So if you're interested in seeing what happened around that time, do swing by. Uh, just swing by anyway. Say hi. Um, always happy to see people around there. Um, and yeah, that that's my main thing. And I'm yeah. Thank you very much for having me, guys. You've been great hosts, even if you did force me to stay awake for three weeks uh, on <laughs> copious amounts of coffee whilst we got our connection sorted. Well, after three weeks up, you can have three hours down before you go to work in the morning. Hooray! And and just to put that in context, it is 12 minutes past three and my alarm goes off at 6.30. (laughs) You have been amazing, Stephen. Thank you so much for being on. And Stephen Lacey can also be heard on the latest two episodes of Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, where he helps me and my co-host Zach Henderson discuss the Hobgoblin arc of that series. And Josh and Donovan, thank you for another solid month of episodes. We saw what happened when Peter Parker dared to let his hair get touched by Liz Allen. But what happens when he has soda <laughs> with Dory Evans? Ooh, how Betty Brand will react. <laughs> and hey, you know, hiring somebody to go after Spider-Man and capture and kill him, that worked out for you really well, Jonah. It's not like you're going to be stupid enough to try to get another scientist to do something like that again. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, you are. All this, and Spider-Man sees a psychiatrist? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Amazing Spider-Man Classics can be reached at AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. We do welcome any and all feedback that we will read on the show unless you tell us not to. There is also the um, homepage for the show at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com where I post um, humorous images and clips from the comics as well as uh, an an ongoing X-Men blog that is keeping pace with this show roughly on the X-Men comics that are coming out at the same time. You can also just search Amazing Spider-Man Classics on Facebook or leave us a review on iTunes because that always puts a smile on our face. And thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Oh, 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 excuse me. Excuse me.
so I'm sorry. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's getting kind of late. We we should probably think about going to sleep soon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> Dude, it's it, it's nine twenty. I mean, you know, if if I don't rest soon, I might get eight or ten hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, guys, these let's shoot, bastards! I shoot. <laughs> Oh my god. I think we've lost all sanity. Continue. That's because it's so late. <laughs> it's 8.25 where I am. It's, like, it's, like, it's just now, no, just now. I'm, getting uh, I'm, I'm teasing Steven and I really shouldn't. <laughs> things mm. come in the night. Things come in the night. They come for me. I mustn't close my eyes. Mustn't. Mustn't. No, no. No bad things happen when eyes are closed. 